football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Today, breaking down the divisional round, Sam, and also looking at the best defensive free agents because free agency is right around the corner. But first, don't forget all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight to put at least $20 into their account. Using the promo code PFF, we'll receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. It's $40 of value for just $20, and you get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the country. It's Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20, use the promo code PFF, get your free PFF Edge annual subscription today. By the way, Steve Pelzolo, Sam Monson here. Forgot to introduce us. Hi, Sam. Have we ever done that? I always say, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. Today we're talking about, and I think I think I missed it. Huh. I, so. I didn't, it's news to me that you've ever introduced this. Anyway, you're Sam, and here we go. Let's get into this thing. Divisional round, only four games to preview, only take us four and a half hours. We got this. Mm-hmm. We'll, keep it, we'll keep it nice and tight. And, and then, if, like I said, we'll look forward to free agency. And if we run out of time, there's always the daily. There is the PFF daily. Oh, it's a good one today. Today re-ranking the rookie quarterbacks justin herbert to uh joe burrow re-ranking them throw it all out restart new information some humility was shown from both of us and then other times you know mm-hmm. it wasn't so go check it out pff nfl daily go subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and if you're on youtube i know you guys like to watch us but you can still go subscribe to the pff nfl daily too because it's not on youtube yet all right let's get into this divisional round starts saturday afternoon Rams at Packers in Green Bay. Man, I maybe the matchup of the weekend for me is Packers offense against the Rams defense. We've been raving about the Rams defense all year. What are you thinking? Yeah, it, it is. Um, the Rams defense, probably the best defense in the NFL. They have shown um, all kinds of, or they've given all kinds of problems to really good quarterbacks throughout the, the league. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has generally been on fire all season long, but we have at least seen evidence that one game against a defense playing well he can collapse that Tampa Bay game right where they blitz the hell out of him and he just imploded that's still there like it hasn't completely disappeared there is the capacity for Aaron Rodgers to have a bad game if a team like the Rams um, shows up with their defense and really causes them all kinds of issues you've also got another one of those one-on-one matchups that's just incredible Uh, Jalen Ramsey Devontae Adams should be pretty fun to watch and it's a very different style of receiver that Ramsey's been going up against you know he's gone up against those guys like New Hopkins and DK Metcalf and those big physical strong receivers now he's getting this guy with just incredible route running savvy and quickness and the ability to break open in a, in a heartbeat that will be fun to watch as well yeah I'm all for this matchup yeah I got some I got some numbers here to break it down so we know Rodgers is the highest graded quarterback in the league he's going to win the MVP right 
the pa- Devontae Adams, incredible. The Rams passing defense, though. Passer rating on 10-plus yard passes, 59.7. So, incredible number. But number two in the league is 76.9, the Chiefs. So, they're almost 20 points higher or lower than the next best defense on just 10-plus yard passes. They've given up the fewest receptions on 10-plus yard throws. So, and then here's the one as well. Deep passing. Rodgers led the league over 1,200 yards on 20-plus yard throws. Rams, fewest yards allowed on deep passes, 411. So something has to give here. Do the Packers try to play strength against strength and attack the Rams down the field? It really is their their sort of strength, uh, their strength on strength almost across the board in like all stats. Like the Packers have allowed the fewest total pressures in the NFL as well. The Rams are, I think, second in terms of pressure rate after the Steelers. Uh, everywhere you look, it's like the best team at this against the best team at that and the irresistible force against the immovable object. Um, I, I think the Rams defense does have the capacity to slow down Rodgers and the Green Bay offense. One, I think what they do on the back end in terms of rotating um, safeties, sort of showing too high all the time and then moving these uh, single high looks, it causes quarterbacks to have to hold the ball a little bit longer because they have to diagnose on the fly after the, the ball is snap. And it's not like they don't know what they're looking at. It just takes them a little bit longer. And that's why Russell Wilson has had a couple of bad games, three bad games, really. Two uh, two bad games and one okay game. Can I add a number to that? Yes, the Rams, do it. So the Rams defensively, as far as the coverages, and we put these into very broad buckets. They have the highest percentage of quarters tied for the tied for the top. So that's with, you know, four across, but, you know, kind of play match principles. You match up with receivers that go deep. Then they have the highest percentage of cover six, which is half cover four, half cover two. But remember when I was doing my defensive coordinator interviews and I said I would play two, four, and six. And that was kind of like the, the two high shell that you just kind of continue to disguise. Well, the Rams don't play any cover two. They play four, they play six, and then they play like the, the, the Seahawks three seam or three match. So that's like the trio, and they're number one in that as well. So the Rams are actually at the top from a percentage standpoint in three different types of coverages, and they're ones that usually aren't matched together. And I think that's what makes them so unique and speaks to exactly what you're saying as far as safety rotation. Yeah, and I I think the ability to slow down the quarterback is really important because Green Bay has generally had this elite pass protection, but they don't have David Bakhtiari. There are weaknesses along that offensive line, and the Rams can get home with pressure, particularly if they get a little bit more time to work with. And Aaron Aaron Donald is a a perfect example of that. We think he'll be fine. You know, he's going to play. Cartilage? Rib cartilage, doctor? What do we... It's a pain thing. Shoot him up with the dart all, and away he goes. Really? Not a problem. So it shouldn't affect... I wouldn't have thought so. I think that's just a pain issue. And Donald is, you know, a scary human being. I'm pretty sure he'll fight through that. We are hashtag blessed to have you on this show. But um, Donald is one. Donald is maybe the only defensive pass rusher in the NFL where if you give him enough time, he will get there. Like, it's just a case of how long it takes. And the difference between him having one of those monster 10-plus pressure games and him having, like, a quiet three or four is how fast the ball is coming out. And that's really the only thing you can do to slow him down. So if the Rams' coverage can buy him a little bit more time, that's the difference between causing a problem for Rodgers and not. I got one more stat to add to this because with Aaron Rodgers through the years, you know, we this is one of those things that kind of 
when I sit down with NFL teams, I was like, this information is in our database. You should be using this from a game plan standpoint. When, when the teams disguise coverage, and we use this very broadly, we just say, do they, does the middle of the field start open with two safeties wider, or does it start closed with one safety in the middle of the field, a post safety, if you will? You either start, you, you can start that way before the snap, and then you can either stay in what you're showing roughly, or you can rotate to, from open to closed or closed to open. When teams rotate and they disguise it, they go from open to closed or closed to open in the middle of the field. Aaron Rodgers historically has gone from the highest graded quarterback with no disguise to like 15th in the NFL. So it's this very simple, it's deep down in the PFF database. You know, teams have access to it. They could use this. It's not creating defensive game plans isn't as simple as like, hey, safeties just go crazy and rotate and all that stuff. But we're talking like a couple plays per game if you can create the indecision that you're talking about, which I think the safety rotation does, we've seen a bit of a drop-off in Aaron Rodgers' play through the years. It's also um, it's that thing with Baker Mayfield as well, the first read stuff. Like Rodgers, when he's in a rhythm and in sync and, and feels good about where he's going with the ball, is basically unplayable. This season, he is by far the best-graded quarterback in the NFL when he's throwing to his first read. It's like 96 or something, which is like four points better than anybody else. It's insane. But if you force him beyond that, again, you get like mortal Aaron Rodgers. He comes back down to earth and he's right. just somewhere in the middle of the pack. So it's not exactly an easy thing to do, you know, just take away his number one read, particularly when his number one read is Devontae Adams a lot of the time. But it all fits together as part of that puzzle, right? If you can force some indecision, if you can make him hold the ball a little bit longer and figure out where he wants to go um, and, and change, <clears throat> change where he wants to go based off you know, moving the look in your secondary uh, after the snap, you make him hold the ball longer. You maybe force him to a second read. You generally are changing the coverage that he's dealing with. All of these things chip away at the level of play that Aaron Rodgers has been at this season. It's a, it's a great way of describing it. And I think that is, you know, that's the Rams game plan here. I think offensively, I could talk about this particular side of the ball all day, but we don't have all day. Um, I do think the Packers are equipped in the short passing game, though. You want to stretch the Rams horizontally, and Rodgers is good at, at that as well. So it's not like – I'm not expecting the Packers to score 10 points here. I think they'll put at least some points up on the board. But of all the teams that the Packers have played this year, the Rams are most equipped to slow them down. So the defense has to play well for the Rams. It's the other side of the ball, though. I think if the Rams are going to pull this upset, they have to be more efficient offensively, and whether it's – Jared Goff at quarterback, whether it's John Wolford, we don't know. Who's starting? We don't know who's starting. Who do we think? Who do the Rams want to start based off how Goff has played and the thumb injury? You know, does John Wolford bring a little bit more? We talked about the big time throws in week 17 against the Cardinals, a little bit of rushing ability. Does that you know, change things a little bit? I mean, based off how Goff played last week, I think if Wolford is cleared to play, he should probably start not necessarily because in a vacuum in any given season he's better than Jared Goff but because right now right now Jared yeah. Goff can't really throw the ball particularly well because he broke a thumb um and I don't I mean again, I, don't, I don't know how much that heals after the surgery from like one week to the next but if there's any doubt it's it's like the um it's like the game against Seattle right the thing that we were reasonably confident in was that the Rams defense would do a good job of slowing down Russell Wilson and limiting the damage that that offense could do, at which point, so all that does is lower the bar, right? Now, this is the bar that you need to clear, but your offense needs to clear that. And right. if, it, if it has Jared Goff out there, not able to complete passes and just 
the whole thing is based off scheme and what a guy can throw like four yards, you're probably not clearing even a low bar. And this bar is probably going to be higher because it's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So you need you need some you need the ability to put up some points yourself on offense. And right now, I'm not sure that Goff gives you that. Uh, one quick note, by the way, about the Packers' offense that we forgot to mention: they signed Jared Valdir, yeah, who just played a playoff game with the Colts last last week. Was the starting left tackle against the Bills. This will be the first time in NFL history because of COVID rules and just the the different personnel rules this year that a guy can play for two different teams in the playoffs. So Valdir, who stepped in for two games this year, straight out of retirement with a 68 grade, creep back toward average, that's perfect, right? Good solid left tackle play. Could be starting for the Packers and starting a playoff game for the set, for his second team in two weeks. Uh, back to the Packers defense and the Rams offense, though. The Packers defense is built, I think, the right you know the way that you would want it to be seen just by looking at pff grades you can you look at the best grades on the team being jr alexander at corner adrian amos and darnell savage at safety you know zadarius smith rushing off the edge they've got uh, the guys here on the back end to slow down passing attacks as well kevin king chandon sullivan maybe more of the weaknesses in the secondary and i think that's where the rams need to attack like get like if Robert Woods gets some one-on-one matchups against Kevin King, you feed him 15 targets. I mean, that's that's the way I would be attacking this if I'm the Rams, is trying to dictate matchups as far as the pass game goes. Yeah, um, there's definitely some weaknesses in this Green Bay defense. It isn't a phenomenal group. I think it's pretty well coached, um, but there are definitely flaws. And in particular, some of their better players haven't played well this season. You know, Kenny Clark uh, dealt with an injury and then just hasn't been himself since that point Kenny Clark prior to this year was like the best nose tackle in the NFL like the perfect modern day nose tackle and he's been okay this season but he has a PFF grade of 74 which is way down on where he's been in the past um Zedaria Smith is grading reasonably well but he hasn't been as good as he was last year where he led the NFL in pressure and there's really only been him generating the pressure for them so they're not getting a ton of pressure on the on the opposing quarterback which is good news for the Rams, uh, particularly like Andrew Whitworth is back playing, but he didn't look himself last week. Right. Um, he looks like a guy that's, you know, 40 years old and had a knee injury recently. Uh, so anything they can do to protect him would be uh, would be a benefit. And in particular, if he's going up against a guy that isn't dominating, that would be helpful. Yeah, I think I think for the Rams offensively, it is going to be about attacking the Packers' weaknesses, which I would say is Kevin King, who I mentioned, and the linebacking core linebacking core with a couple starters grading under 50 you know the rams passing attack working off of play action and all that fun stuff puts linebackers in a bind i think that's where the rams are going to have their most success try to avoid um you know it's tough to avoid darnell savage and adrian amos control in the middle of the field because that's where the rams like to attack as well but keep those linebackers on a string and maybe the rams can have some success and whether it's wolford or goff they got to hit their open throws they got to hit the open throws. They got to make some big plays. Cam Akers was probably their best player last week. He was creating after contact. He ran the ball really well. Rams could use another solid game from him on the ground. Where are you going in this one? Do the Rams have a chance at the upset here? I think they have a chance. Um, I think there's a reasonable shot that this Rams defense causes Aaron Rodgers similar problems to the to the ones they caused Russell Wilson three times this season. Yeah, um, And if they do... And if that buys Aaron Donald some time to cause some problems, like we could see not necessarily a Tampa Bay 
Bucks, Aaron Rodgers, but something approaching that. You know, a bad day at the office for Rodgers and that offense. Which they've had, right. by the way. You, they, this year they had the Tampa Bay game, but in previous years, like last year they had a few where the offense just did nothing. It wasn't so much turnover as it was just they did nothing. Um, to me, that's just such a fine line. That's such a – I don't know, man. I don't think Rodgers is going to turn the ball over, so it's going to have to be like the Rams really good and efficient defensively for 60 to 70 snaps. I think it's tough to hold down this Packers offense. Six and a half, though, on the line. I could see the Rams keeping it close. I like the Packers winning, though. Yeah, I mean, I think you still lean a, a Green Bay win, but I think the Rams are very real live underdogs. And in particular, if they start John Walford, that could go either way, right? Like Walford could be could give you just enough big plays to make you hang in, in a game that – you're still underdogs in, but you're, you've got a shot of winning it now because you're a whole, your defense is holding down that Green Bay offense. On the other hand, you could easily turn the ball over a couple of times and, and just have a bad day, implode, and suddenly you're sunk by double digits. So, you know, I, I think it's their best chance to win, but it doesn't mean it's it doesn't mean it doesn't also magnify their chance of a disaster. Fair point. Yeah, wide range of outcomes. I like it. A little volatile that Rams offense this week. All right, Saturday night. Is this the best game of the weekend? Baltimore Ravens at the Buffalo Bills. It's the tightest spread, two and a half point favorites, uh, the home team Buffalo. And we've talked about Baltimore quite a bit last few weeks. They're rolling, and it was nice to see them play well against a playoff team, not just, you know, the Bengals and the Giants and other teams down the stretch. So the Ravens feel if, if, if momentum mattered or just how well you're playing leading in or whatever, this is maybe the two hottest teams in the league right now, Ravens and Bills. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think this is the first game for a long time that will actually learn something about Baltimore, though. Like, they've been one of those teams rolling down the back end of the season into the postseason where it's like how much of what we're seeing is a product of their opposition. Like, when was the last good defense they faced? Um, and they faced a slew of defenses that just have been un- unable to deal with their run game at all and have let them get back to being the team that they were a year ago. Um, you know, Tennessee's run defense was a similar thing. So we were saying even last week, we weren't likely to learn anything about how good this offense is right now. And the difference between the first Tennessee game in the in this season and the playoff game for that matter, and the one last week is Baltimore's defense, not the, not the offense. Like the offense, it wasn't above and beyond anything they've been before, but suddenly their defense stopped Derrick Henry and AJ Brown from running riot and all it then took was a couple of big plays from Lamar Jackson on the ground here or there. But now you're going to face a Buffalo team whose defense is not bad and is good at game planning. So it's another one of these intriguing matchups where like Buffalo generally invites teams to run on them but because it's a, it's a less efficient way of playing. But Baltimore might be the one exception to that because they're actually often more efficient running than they are passing and have the kind of impact on the ground they can win a game in and of itself so does buffalo still invite them to run and do they do as good a job of stopping it once they do that they did to indianapolis last week because they invited the colts to run a bit and did a really good job of actually shutting them down once they did you can't invite the ravens to run is the issue because because if you don't have the numbers to stop lamar he's got a 40 50 yarder in him at any given time that's that's part of the issue I, I think both defenses are fascinating in this one though from our pff uh, defensive rankings our elo rankings which do adjust for competition and you know take everything in, into account they're eighth and ninth bills eighth ravens ninth 
And I think coming into the season, I feel like both defenses underachieved a little bit earlier in the year, but have come together a little bit better in the second half of the season. The Ravens defensively were like the prototype, right? I mean, it's like, all right, let's just get a bunch of guys that can cover in the back end, a bunch of different types of cover guys. They blitz to create pressure. They added a Calais Campbell up front as just a good all-around uh, pass rusher and, and run stopper. Uh, but the Ravens got off to a bit of a slow start, had some rough games along the way early. And then the Bills were that team that had three straight top 10 coverage grades and were like, ah, defense is unstable, you can't do it. And they have regressed a little bit in that area, but they're the type of defense that just, you know, makes you earn it, has, you know, solid players on the back end, good safeties, a Tredavious White on the other end, but they're in their pass rush has really emerged this year in Buffalo. So I think both defenses are going to be a key here. They're both trending in a better direction, but I still think it comes down to the Bills' number uh, second worst graded run defense against a Ravens team that is going to run the ball a ton, and I think they're going to have some success. It's just a matter of hitting enough throws and putting it into the end zone in the red zone. But we've also talked endlessly about this idea that run defense is largely a conscious decision, right? And if most of the time Buffalo... Most of the time. Well, most of the time Buffalo plays this woke style of defense where we're going to invite teams to run because that's less efficient, and when you're doing that, you're not killing us... Uh, with bigger plays in the pass game but if you encounter a team like baltimore where the run game is their offense like that's the platform that everything is built upon you presumably don't want to do the same thing your argument right you don't want to yeah. invite the run because lamar jackson will rattle off a 50-yard run not a seven-yard run and it's a real problem when that happens so consequently do they come into this game with a completely different game plan and come out to stop the run because it, it's a conscious choice, right? They can just load up the box, um, shut down the run those run lanes, play assignment football against the read option looks, and just, by and large, force them to the air where they're less efficient. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, yes, I think they're going to... I think the Bills are going to allot the resources to stop the run. And it's usually a math problem, but then Lamar Jackson changes the math because sometimes you even have a guy allotted for him. And... And Greg Roman's done a great job of changing the math and adding blockers here and there and um, essentially getting some mismatches, run game mismatches, which you don't always see. You don't see run game. You see pass game mismatches all the time, but Baltimore's creating run game mismatches. So I, I think that's going to be a big key. I think, you know, Lamar had that. We mentioned the, uh, the bad interception the other day, missed a couple other throws. He's got to play a cleaner game offensively, but that matchup's great. I think Buffalo has to do a reasonable job stopping the run though and, and, and a reasonable job stopping the run is like make a key stop on third and two here and there on fourth and one there's going to be a few key plays in this game where somebody's got to step up and make a play for the buffalo defense the bills are fun if you go to um pff green line on the website and go to the power ratings tab we have a bunch of numbers there one of the main one is essentially how much uh better a team is than the average team on a neutral field, right? How many points better they are. So the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. They're on average essentially 12 points better uh, on a neutral field than the average team. The Bills are number three, but the interesting thing is they have had the biggest jump from week one, right? The, from, from week one, they have essentially gotten seven points better against a random team than where we thought they were heading into the season. And a huge amount of it is Josh Allen. It's Josh Allen. Like, Josh Allen has gone from being this quarterback that was massively flawed and we didn't see necessarily ever putting it together to a guy who's playing at an all-pro level, albeit 
still capable of some mistakes. Somebody made the point on, on after last week's podcast that like, you know, we had said that he had that one bad play at the end of the game, fumbled, almost tried to do too much, almost threw the game away, uh, but it was one play. It wasn't the quarter long implosion that it right. was a year, a year ago against Houston. On the other hand, somebody made the point that, well, if that play had actually turned over and essentially lost the game for them, would it still be just one play? Or would it be like, I oh, see, there's Josh Allen again. When the pressure comes, Josh Allen wilts. It's it's not an unfair point that I mean, the, it's, the narrative it's, changes, right, based off whether or not Buffalo recovers the ball that he put on oh, the ground there. Absolutely. But, but I, mean, I, think it's still, I think it's still significant that it was one play by and large, in that game, he had done a lot of really good things as opposed to just skated by, whereas against Houston, like, the whole thing fell to pieces, and he looked like he looked like a guy desperately trying to make up for the last mistake that he made. Right, the narrative would definitely change. I mean, look, we were sitting here, Lamar, it took Lamar all the way until his 24-year-old season to win a playoff <laughs> game. It took forever. But also, like, the ridiculous thing about that is what I said earlier, like, the offense was the same. The thing that changed was Baltimore's defense suddenly showed up. Yes. Um, but then with Allen, 89 grade against Indianapolis, that includes the fumble. Yeah. And, you know, so I would view it like that. Like, the dude played great, and then, yes, he did have a, a bad fumble, which almost blew the game and was very lucky that they recovered it. But Allen, I've called Allen streaky before, and I think, man, if you look at since week 13, grade of 91, then 65 against Pittsburgh. But then 87, 87, 88, yeah. 89. He is tearing it up right I mean, now yeah playing if, with incredible confidence and even with the fumble here and there he's creating those chunk plays that i think you know that's why buffalo is so dangerous i mean if he is streaky he's in the middle of a really hot streak <laughs> like look at his last four grades have all been between 87 and 89 like, yeah this is isn't streaky this cooking. is good like he's playing great football right so that's the bottom line and um and he's in even with the fumble he's taking better care of the ball too mm -hmm. he is taking much better care of the ball than he did earlier in the year or in previous seasons uh, i don't know how baltimore on paper has the horses to you know at least stay close to the receiver uh, to the buffalo receiving core but i still think it's advantage stefan diggs and cole beasley and those guys um the entire pass game for buffalo yeah i mean the way Allen is playing right now he's in that category of mahomes and aaron Rodgers, where when they're on their game i don't know that there's a good answer to stopping them like do yeah. you do you have the weather report by the way oh, that's you, a good point you I should probably get some weather report yeah. lamar jackson said um essentially he'd never played in the snow and he doesn't want to so <laughs> um well we went this game saturday right you never yeah saturday night eight fifteen. 15 Ooh. Ooh. that's just that's just cruel nfl putting putting anybody in buffalo on a night game in coldest January. i've ever been in my life was on a in a buffalo game in december uh saturday we have p.m snow showers the game's p.m mm -hmm. great we need some snow last time we saw the ravens in extreme weather was the rain in foxborough that was extreme yeah rain that but was like you I, even aren't they ball. built for a snow game i mean lamar might not like it but. in theory yes and as, like, as long as we don't care about Lamar's comments that he doesn't like it, it really shouldn't matter. But I yeah, mean, they're built and to again, it, run like, it. It doesn't matter if he likes it or not. It's, yeah. it's like whether you're able to execute in it, and you should be able to. And plus, tackling Lamar isn't going to be any easier That's in what the I mean, snow, right? right? Like, in theory, I don't think that hurts them. So, like, if, you're, if you look at these two offenses and say, if you are faced with a crappy weather game, which one of them is hurt more? You would say Buffalo's offense, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it affects yeah weather affects the pass game more than the right. run game. Yes, so I think yeah, it probably affects Buffalo a little bit more. Um, 
where are you going in this one? Again, I think Baltimore with Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, that trio on the back end against the trio plus four receivers, really, that the Bills have. It's going to be a great matchup, but the I don't know. It's tough to bet against the, the Bills passing attack right now, the way they're moving it. Yeah, I, I'm i not betting against Buffalo anytime soon. They look really good right now. And I know that the Colts did a good job of slowing them down and making that game closer than I think a lot of people expected it to be. But the Colts are a good defense, and they have enough on offense to make that happen. Baltimore, I don't think, is any better than the Colts are in terms of defensively. And able, you know, So it should be a similar story, which is Buffalo is better than that and just a matter of whether they execute. Man, I just – I don't want to bet against Buffalo either. But I, I really like the way the Ravens are trending. <laughs> I think it just feels like the year the Ravens are going to – they're going to do some things. Pull this upset, perhaps. You're the guy. Maybe pull the upset against Kansas City. You're the, you're the Trubisky truther at the end of the four-game stretch against just a garbage set of defenses. Oh, he's turned the corner. Yeah, they did it last week. going well. Pretty well, Baltimore. Against the garbage defense? Also, class of 2018, the AFC has three quarterbacks, Lamar yeah. Jackson, Josh Allen, and Baker Mayfield, all in the playoffs from that first round a couple of years ago. The AFC doesn't have a quarterback over 25 in the remaining playoffs. Yeah, it's amazing. Whereas the, the NFC has old man Brady, old man Breeze, reasonably old man Rodgers, and then Goff or Walford. Goff or Walford. You know, they got QBs there that are older than the coaches three coaches oh my heart my heart is saying Ra- my my head is saying bills my heart is saying ravens i'm going with my heart <sighs> ravens pull it off here i like the way they're built defensively and i think they they'll slow down buffalo if they're going to win though i think you're going to have some of those those rare josh allen mistakes show up so that's going to be key i'm taking the ball i'm taking the ravens green line likes the bills or even over the spread that's my head. My head is green line. Yeah, yeah I, I would follow green line. That's the way to do it. But my heart is saying something's up. And the money Baltimore is coming in on Buffalo. What's it, two and a half? Yeah. It's another big game, man. I, Buffalo can win anyway. They've done that all year. So uh, this could be the best game of the entire weekend. Let's go to the Sunday action. Hey guys, after the year we've all been through, saving money should be at the top of everyone's resolution list. So if you're still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless, what are you doing? Switch to Mint Mobile. It's the easiest way to save this year. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just $15 a month. Sam, I know you're all in on Mint Mobile. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, moved over to the U.S. and couldn't believe how insane the cell service was, how much it costs. And apparently it doesn't have to be that way. You go to Mint Mobile, you cut your wireless bills in, not just in half, cut it way down and save on all the wasted money that goes from having these bricks and mortar stores. Online only cuts the bill hugely and the service works perfectly. It's a no-brainer for people looking for extra savings this year. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Switch to Mint Mobile, get premium wireless service, and it starts at just 15 bucks a month. To get a new wireless plan for just that 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com PFF. That's mintmobile.com PFF. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com PFF. Chiefs and Browns are going to kick it off in the afternoon. Chiefs coming off the bye. Browns coming off the demoralizing for the Steelers defeat. Yeah. Uh, dominant defeat. Dominant win against the Steelers. 
Have to say though, do the Chiefs do the Chiefs luck out here? Because they play the Browns. Because they play the Browns instead of having to play the Raven. They would have had to play the Ravens. They've and then the own the Ravens. Yeah, but still, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they routinely smash the Ravens when they're playing the Ravens. Well, we'll get to the Bucks Saints game. Are you going to think it matters there? I mean, I think that's slightly different. I think the Chiefs, like the Chiefs, aren't working their things out over. Like they're just better than the Ravens and appear to murder them every time they play. At which point, I don't think they're at all concerned if they have to play them in the divisional round of the playoffs. So, if you're a Chiefs fan, you you're rooting hard for the Ravens. Obviously, you you want to win, beat the Browns, and then rooting hard for the Ravens because it's a cakewalk to the Super Bowl given their history. I certainly would rather face Baltimore than Buffalo if I'm Kansas City. Fair. All right. Well, Chiefs Browns, ten points here, right? I just clicked off the page, but um, I keep coming back to. I think the Browns are going to need some of the the same bounces and it's 10 points same bounces and the same luck that they got against pittsburgh to pull this one off against kansas city or the chiefs going to be rusty essentially haven't played football in three weeks two full weeks off for all of their stars yeah they've so that's the interesting thing is whatever about resting your starters in a meaningless week 17 game when you're rolling into the playoffs to me that's the same as a bye week right and the bye week is always seen as a good thing right teams come out of the bye refreshed and they've had two weeks to work on this game plan everybody's good coming out of a bye Andy Reid is amazing coming out of a bye it's good right so if you're resting people for week 17 to me that probably is better than risking injuries just to play the game and to stay to to avoid rust like rust is never a problem coming out of a bye so why is it a problem coming out of week 17 um but if you add another week to that it's at least questionable at that point because now you're two weeks off um that I think is at least a debate about whether you should probably get these people some action so they're not completely cold. I think the counter to that is the like the COVID protocols and stuff like that. We're seeing guys like not even practice, not even take reps during the week, and I don't think we're seeing a major difference in performance. So I mean, I don't know maybe, but it's also it a pretty small sample size for this stuff. So my 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 question for the Browns is defensively they'll play they might play the same thing they played against the Steelers which is that soft four cross type of shell um, which by the way it, it looks like it's soft and conservative but you can easily scheme up one-on-ones you know if you play against quarters you could you can easily run route concepts that isolate your receivers down the field essentially on post routes go routes whatever it is but are the Browns going to play super soft and just make Kansas City make Patrick Mahomes patient throw after throw after throw play after play run you know mix in the run game here and there the browns feel like the team they're going to have to have that extreme type of game plan which is like bend as far as you possibly can try not to break as the chiefs have had some issues in the red zone at times this year when they've maybe gotten too fancy as i said that one time is it super bend but don't break with the browns or are you going to start playing matchups denzel ward back match him up with tyree kill how do you handle this defensively because i don't think the browns have the the pieces to slow down the Chiefs no Denzel Ward coming back is huge the difference between him and the next best corner on that roster is monstrous and I'm not saying it's like I'm not saying it's good to the point where you go okay you take Tyree Kill one-on-one all day have fun but it at least gives you a player that can hold up versus some of these other guys um so that I think is a big thing for them I this this could be a monster shootout um the Browns offense is really good and their defense is not and they're going up against the Chiefs team who should be able to put up all the points in the world the question is like 
the Chiefs have been riding their luck for a while in terms of they, they haven't covered a spread in a long time. They haven't played that well in quite a while. And we talked before, you know, a month or so ago about what is the difference between the way Pittsburgh is playing right now and the narrative surrounding that and the way Kansas City is playing right now and the narrative surrounding them. And we came to the conclusion that, look, the difference between the two is effectively Roethlisberger versus Patrick Mahomes. Right. And um, Roethlisberger just hasn't been playing well, whereas Mahomes has, and that gives you a much wider margin for error so that even when everything else starts to fall to pieces, you're only ever like a click of the fingers away from Mahomes to Kelsey or Mahomes to Tyreek Hill. Seven points, the game has got a completely different uh, complexion to it. So whereas we kind of felt that Pittsburgh were riding their luck for a while and it finally came back to bite them, we it's not quite the same, I think, with Kansas City. Having said that, the Atlanta Falcons game would have been a concerning one. They should have lost that game. Mahomes threw the ball into a cornerback's hands right. in the end zone that would have ended the game right then and there. So that's a loss that should be on their record. And if that was the last thing we'd seen from the Chiefs, you would at least have some pause for consideration going into the playoffs against a team with an offense as explosive as Cleveland's. Um, so I think there's a chance that, you know, the, the Browns defense is not good enough to like slow down Kansas City. But what if Kansas City is going to slow down Kansas City and they just don't execute as well as we, as we know they can and they have another one of those games where they don't put up a ton of points? Like Atlanta's defense is not good enough to slow down Kansas City, but they did. Yeah, let's not forget last year divisional round against the houston texans remember the texans got up 24 nothing yeah some quirky stuff you know punt issue special teams and all quirky issues and of course the chiefs made the ridiculous comeback and just absolutely dominated the rest of the game that's what happened on sunday night essentially the browns got up 28 nothing against the the worst thing that could happen for cleveland is for them to get up 28 nothing in the first quarter right that's like the last place you want to put the chiefs offense because big ben dink and dunked his way to yeah, yeah. a completion record in 500 yards mahomes would throw for texas techie right. and he would 750 repeat. yards in he'd, the, account in the comeback. For, he'd account for eight touchdowns and 700 yards or whatever it was 88 completions whatever you do browns don't get up to a huge lead do not get up 28 to nothing in this one so I, here's what i think happens with the chiefs i think it happened with the patriots dynasty and all that stuff you can't be perfect for 16 games sure right but the underarching the number one team by pff elo is still the chiefs so no matter what we've seen for the last 15 16 games really i mean 16, 15 games really without the starters is Mahomes would have some ups and downs or the defense would give up 30 here and there or they get get a little bit interception luck or whatever it is but the bottom line is you're not taking any quarterback besides Mahomes. you're not taking any pl- uh two playmakers besides tyreek and travis kelsey and I think there's just this expectation that in the playoffs, you're going to get the best from these guys. Right. And the playoffs last year was Mahomes putting up a 90 grade in week, or 89-9 grade in, one, in week one and a 96 grade in the conference championship game and almost not even missing a throw for two games. I think that's kind of like my expectation in this. He's just going to come out and dominate for two games and go to the Super Bowl. I think that's definitely the expectation. I'm just saying it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Um, everybody, I think, anticipates Kansas City. Should, like That's why it's a 10-point spread. The Browns have an incredible offense, and they're still 10 points in the hole, according to Vegas, because we expect the Chiefs to be the Chiefs. But the Chiefs haven't been the Chiefs for a while, or at least have not been the Chiefs for a whole game for a period. So I think there is a chance that they don't just destroy this Browns defense the way we expect them to at which point all the focus goes on the other side and 
can Baker Mayfield and this Browns offense roll now that they have their head coach out of his basement and that they've got offensive linemen that they've met before um, and these kinds of things? Like, can they get things done against your buddy Spags and the Kansas City defense? Like, Kansas City's defense is interesting because they are good under Spags at game planning and, you know, coming in here with a specific thing to attack on on the opposing op- on the opposing offense i got a i got a number for spags in his defense yeah what do you got lowest completion percentage on 10 plus yard passes so anything thrown 10 plus opponents are only completing 42 percent of their passes against the chiefs and that has honestly been the biggest difference from the 2018 chiefs that lost in the afc championship to last year's super bowl champions and this year when spags took over before last year they have made things a little bit different a little bit more difficult down the field no freebies against this Chiefs defense the Browns I think will you know we keep coming back to the run game I don't think it needs to be efficient for these teams because it's January it needs to be efficient because that's how they're built the Browns rely on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in that number one offensive line the Ravens rely on their run game so that's why I think they're going to be important in these AFC matchups so I think the Browns have to average six a pop you know five or six a pop moving the ball not just keeping the ball away from Kansas City you can't limit their possessions that much got to be efficient there and Baker's Baker's got to play a really clean game much like he did against the Steelers since week nine Baker Mayfield is second only to Aaron Rodgers oh he did it great there we go there it is means which means the Baker is grading better than Patrick Mahomes since there it is since week nine we got the arbitrary cutoff since week nine it's all Baker but so Baker Mayfield season though is really interesting because we've talked before about how much so much of it you have to almost throw out as meaningless right but but every time he has been posed one of these questions where there is a difference right like he hasn't just faced a a gimme team where he's had to step it up or the circumstances have changed and he's had to play he's had to show something different he's actually answered the call and still played well so you have to put a giant caveat over a huge amount of his season but the stuff that you can take something from has almost all gone in his direction since those two er- ugly games early early in the season, Baltimore in week one and Pittsburgh, whenever that was, week seven. Since that point, every single step along the way, Baker Mayfield has A, played well, and B, stepped up when circumstances have required him to step up. So this would be another one, right? Now you're going into the postseason, first time since before you were born. Um, and you're facing the defending Super Bowl champions on the road. Like, it doesn't get any more step up than this. Can you still ball out? Uh, Baker also has four games graded at 90-plus, tied for the league lead. Three of them have come since week 13, include, including last week. I think we need one of those. We need a, if, if the Browns are going to pull this off, Baker had a 91 grade against Tennessee, 92 against the Giants, 90.5 last week against the Steelers. He needs a game like that to compete in this one against the Chiefs. So I'm expecting points to your point but um i'm curious to see if it's my my priors that like it's the playoffs mahomes and the chiefs they're just going to be unstoppable yeah or if they're going to kind of trudge through like the falcons game and we're going to be in the fourth quarter and it's actually like 16 to 13 and a, a much closer game i'm leaning toward i mean the chiefs are ready and they're a championship team and they're going to go ball out but you know we'll see what happens i, I mean i that's definitely possible but if they don't show up and they, you know, the 16 to 13 game, the 16 to 13 game in the fourth quarter could be 35 to 13 if they don't show up. Like this Cleveland offense is legit and scary. Look at the teams that they've come in and blitz with points. Like they haven't necessarily been good defenses, but 
if you don't take them seriously, the, the Browns can put up a lot of points quickly. Um, they're explosive. They've got that two-headed monster in the backfield that are both incredibly talented, both incredibly capable. Um, and Baker Mayfield is playing really well right now. If you don't show up on offense, there's a very real danger that you're going to be in a pretty deep hole, not just in a low-scoring, you know, back-and-forth game. Yeah, you have to – I mean, Baker probably has to pick up a few first downs with his legs like he has been, got to hit the open throws. And as we always say, watch the Browns in the trenches. Watch their offensive line, especially with Chris Jones on the other side, the guards and J.C. Treader at center going up against Chris Jones, run game, pass game. It's going to be a great matchup. I, I got the Chiefs winning – I, I don't know if I got them. I guess I would lean toward them covering if I had to. If I had to make the bet, I'm going with playoff Chiefs are showing up here. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of priors at work in this game, right? Yeah, I think every, you're, and they both work in the same direction. Like everyone expects Kansas City to be a Super Bowl champion. Kansas City, now that we're into the playoffs, everybody still kind of expects the Browns to still be the Browns. You know, at some point, it's just, the wheels are going to fall off and the thing blows up. So if both those two things happen, the Chiefs blow out the Browns, and we're we're not we're wondering why we ever thought this could be a game, but like there's a very real chance that that isn't the way this goes. PFF Green Line likes the Browns to cover the spread. It's I mean it's marginal. It's not a like they're not saying right. there are two points or anything, but they do like the Browns to cover. Um, the Browns have been a really good team for a lot of this season, and a lot of the pieces that were causing problems are back now right covid people coming out of the protocols a game plan that you can actually execute throughout the game not just for the first script um i they're very they're i think not only are they live underdogs but i would like them to cover that spread the one other thing to, to consider here is when you're a 10 point underdog playing like an underdog and being aggressive and do you know so do the browns have to come into this game and say we refuse to kick field goals and we're only punting if necessary will kevin stefanski be that aggressive because i do think that is the type of mentality that it takes to beat dynasty level teams like the chiefs like the patriots for years you know back in the day like the niners or the cowboys you almost have to expect you're going to give up 30 it's not a disrespect to your defense you almost have to expect you're going to give up 30 and you have to chase getting to 30 any way that you can and field goals and punting simply doesn't do that yeah, you should have an appreciation that every time you kick a field goal, Patrick Mahomes is about to answer with a touchdown. Like, you, you should just think that way. So don't – unless unless it's a massively problematic, you know, down and distance to go for it, fourth and eight, you know, from whatever. You should be trying to maximize the points you put on the board at where at all possible. It could be a game of, yeah, that analytics edge that the, that the Browns are going to try to employ – is crucial and they need to stick with it and be really aggressive with it so i don't know hope it's a good game sunday afternoon and then we get into sunday evening last game of the weekend the new orleans saints hosting the tampa bay bucks it's part three the saints uh, won the first one they didn't really dominate that one but they won it pretty handily second one absolute domination 38 to 3 on sunday night football it's tom brady it's drew Brees. tons of storylines here and uh yeah third time they're playing each other no 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 it is not tom brady it is playoff tom brady oh really different human being entirely so what are you expecting here i so i like the bucks in this i think we've started to see signs that they have worked out things in this offense that were causing them problems earlier in the season yeah it was 
you know, even before the season, we were like week one, we're probably not going to see a fair reflection of Tampa Bay versus New Orleans because this offense is like five minutes old um, and doesn't really have any idea what it's doing yet. It's going to take some time to work that out. Week nine was at the second game. We were like, by week nine, you might see some fireworks. Didn't happen week nine either. They still hadn't worked things out by then. But I think down the stretch, they have started to work some stuff out. And last week against Washington, the Washington defense did start to throw some things at them, and they had answers. They knew what to do. They knew where to go with the ball. Brady knew where to go with the ball and how to get rid of it and not have problems. That is huge because if that happens against New Orleans, now it's a now it's a jewel. Now it's playoff Brady still playing like he's 25 years old based off the TB12 method against <laughs> old man Breeze, who's desperately clinging on to the last shreds of like – uh, cerebral intelligence and accuracy to get the ball where it needs to go because God knows his arm can't do it anymore. Well, and that was the point I was going to make. The last matchup, right? And I, I don't know how much you glean from the last matchup because it was so... It, I made the point after the game. After the game, it was lopsided, but anytime you break down the film, it's never as bad as it seems. It, it, it's it's bad, but also there's like a few plays here and there that, that change things. But the my takeaway with the Saints offense in that game... I thought Breeze's arm would be an issue. I thought that the Bucks would play more aggressive, and they didn't defensively. And Breeze hit 12 different receivers, or 12 different receivers caught passes. Not one of those receivers had more than 50 yards. It was one of the best, you know, I'm not going to Michael Thomas. I'm not going to Alvin Kamara. I'm going to Adam Troutman. I'm going to Emmanuel Sanders. I'm going to Michael Burton, the fullback. I'm going to Latavius Martin. It doesn't matter. They had all these weapons all over the place, and Breeze was just playing so fast and they had answers for what the Bucs threw at them defensively, which was often kind of some soft coverage. Bucks defense likes to give up a lot of stuff underneath. Bruce Arians made the point this week, he made a, a bit of a joke that the Bears, uh, the Bears defense did a good job slowing down the breeze, except for that drive that they played all zone. Bruce Arians is the opposite of Bill Belichick as far as telling people what he thinks. And, you know, did, Drew, did Bruce Arians basically say, look, we're playing press man in this one. We're going all out. I think that's going to be an interesting storyline is if it's Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean, uh, Sean Murphy bunting, bunting in the slot, the Tampa Bay corners, and then their linebackers who are fast, covering man-to-man -man against the Saints, and can Breeze make a few of those throws over the top? That's what I want to see. Or, does, or do the Bucks come out with the same game plan as before? And Breeze ends up picking him apart, which he could still do. He's still more than capable of making those quick decisions underneath. I think he's capable of making the downfield throws too, Sam. Like I said, you know, a lot of them are just a couple steps. You know, when guys are open, he picks his spots and he can at least put it on them, even if it looks ugly. Yeah, I, the Bucks defense is interesting to me because they're built to be more aggressive than they've been for a lot of the year. Agree. And actually their best success has been when they have been hyper-aggressive. Like when they got after Aaron Rodgers, they absolutely murdered him because they right. trusted those guys in the back end to hold up and just sent the house and Rodgers couldn't deal with it. Um, but they, don't, they haven't done that for most of the season. They've played way too soft and just kind of let teams pick them apart. And they've got those big, strong corners Jamel Dean built like a linebacker, Carlton Davis, who's got a lot of length and, and strength to him. And they, when those guys have to play off a little bit and mirror receivers that are quick, fast, it's not their game. Whereas when you let them get physical and try and hold up in man coverage, particularly when you're sending pressure, like they're way, they're way better than that. So, and it also really shrinks down the window that the guy has to aim at, which is probably significant when you're talking about Drew Brees. It's interesting. You, you know, you think that with Bree's arm the way it is, 
either man coverage or zone coverage should show some kind of like problem, right? Because yeah. in theory, zone coverage lets everybody have their eyes on the quarterback and get a jump on the ball that's in the air for a week and a half. Or man coverage really shrinks down the window that he has to aim at and just makes him hit a tiny bullseye. But neither of them do. Like he's still playing at a really high level or at the same level against man or zone coverage. We don't, you don't see either one of those defenses exploiting the arm strength that is an issue. The the problem with zone coverage against Breeze is the Breeze Peyton combination. You have a great play caller and you have a system that does such a good job of just having, you know, cover two beaters and cover three beaters. They have ways to they they stretch the field horizontally as well as any team in the league, which is why if they do end up playing the Rams in the AFC uh, NFC Championship, that'll be an incredible matchup yeah. where it's like the Rams don't want to let anything go over the top and Breeze is like, "Fine, I don't care." Like if that ends up being a matchup. So, um Breeze just plays so quickly that you get the ball out. He knows where the holes are, and the Saints scheme it up really well. But then if you play man, you still have to cover Michael Thomas. You have to cover Kamara. You have to cover Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook. They have answers against man as well from a playmaker standpoint. The Tom Brady splits against the Saints versus everybody else are hilarious this year. Um, his grade against New Orleans across two games is 67.4, passing grade. His uh, grade against everybody that isn't New Orleans is 92.3. Um, he has 40 big-time throws versus seven turnover-worthy plays against the rest of the field, and he's 5-5 five and five against the Saints. Like, they have absolutely destroyed Tom Brady, but critically, I don't think that is actually what happened. I think that they have destroyed the offensive scheme, and when the scheme is destroyed, Tom Brady is destroyed along with it. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because the Blitz, uh, Brady against the Blitz in the last matchup, 5 of 11 with two picks. Right. Like the and they Saints, didn't have the blitz answers like you were Exactly. You the Saints have understood and known and been able to kill the Tampa Bay scheme across two games. Now, if the Tampa Bay if Tampa Bay rolls into this game with the same scheme and no more adjustments, they'll do the same thing. Like they just had answers to it, they're able to beat it. But if if the Bucks have made adjustments the way it looks like they have and they've discovered what went wrong and learned from it, now you're dealing with something else entirely because now you've got Tom Brady working from a clean pocket who can still get through, make every throw out there. You're dealing with all those receiving options that he has. Gronk, Antonio Brown, uh, Cameron Brait, um, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans even hobbled. Like they've got so much talent in the, in the receiving core that if you don't have an answer, if you don't have a way of knocking the scheme over, you have to have some real horses on your back end to be able to hold up. And the Saints do. This is what makes this matchup incredible, right? I mean, you've got Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins had a pick six on Brady earlier in the year. He's playing well this year. Uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson It's going to be trash-talking everybody. <laughs> you know, P.J. Williams. you got Marcus, Marcus Williams, the safety. I mean, they've got dudes on the back end as well. The thing about the last matchup as well that is very notable is the fact that um, Ali Marpet the left guard for this for the Bucks was out. Joe Haig came in and gave up seven pressures. And, you know, the old adage, you got to blitz, you know, pressure Brady up the middle, absolutely true. So when your guard gives up seven, Ryan Jensen at center gives up three, and then the left tackle, Donovan Smith, gives up six. Trey Hendrickson had a big game. The Saints got a lot of pressure. Now you've got Alex Kappa, the right guard, is out for the season. He got hurt the other day, but Marpet's back. But that's going to be another matchup to watch is that that Bucks offensive line against a Saints really good defensive line. Hendrickson should be coming back. You got him, Davenport, and Cameron Jordan. 
a pretty good trio of defensive ends sheldon rankins they can rush the passer and they can cover and you know that's the that's the formula for being able to slow down good passing offenses like the bucks yeah um the this is not this is the game we thought we were going to see earlier in the season or like before the season um the idea was that both these two teams would come out of that division the saints on paper look like the best roster in the nfl heading into the 2020 season they've been the higher seed of the two and now we get to see what it looks like in the playoffs now that the bucks have had a season to work out where all the problems are and all the pressure points and we get playoff tom brady against old man breeze all right let's let's talk legacy stuff here and like big picture overarching stuff okay I think it's interesting to me that first off Brady chose to go to the Tampa Bay Bucks mm-hmm. knowing that you're going to, to a division with Drew Brees knowing that you're going to a division where you're not going to be the best team just on paper to start out and that's how it played out this year Saints win the division Bucks come in second then from a Brees standpoint all but assuredly going to be playing for NBC next year not for a football team right that's Brees we, we almost we're all expecting him to retire uh, remember Ray Lewis had his little retirement run you know how much can you rally the troops behind Drew Brees and his final run? Whereas I think from a playoff legacy standpoint, I don't care how many times you talk Brady, Belichick, and who won. Like Brady's playing with house money. It like if if they get if they lose this weekend, he's it doesn't change any accomplishment Brady's ever had. But this game is massive for Drew Brees. In the the whether rings matter or not, going out with two rings versus one for him for Rodgers, yeah, absolutely huge. A lot of legacy on the line this weekend i think it matters for both people but for different reasons you're right drew Brees. there is a level of validation that comes from a second ring right the the sort of the theory or the feeling or just a lingering thought that people have is you know anyone can luck into one right like yeah. trent dilfer anyone can get lucky wind up on a good team and suddenly you're a super bowl champion um but two means you actually did something it means you took a team and you got back twice you won the thing twice and i you know look judging people based on rings period is kind of silly even though that's the thing that everybody's chasing it's clearly not a good judge of how a guy has played or whatever but yeah there's a level of validation that obviously drew Brees is desperately chasing right that guy went to one um won his super bowl back in 2009 like he desperately wants a second one to ride off into the sunset and validate the second half of his career um for Brady I think it matters not because like if he doesn't win one who cares he did he already did a Montana level job on the Bucks in terms of going somewhere else taking a, a team into the postseason showing that he's still Tom Brady but if he like leaves New England goes to Tampa Bay wins the Super Bowl in his first time of asking given the problems that they had earlier in the season now you're like ascending into Jordan levels of like the dude achieves True. anything he wants to achieve yeah and we're all just living in his world like it put it whatever about the greatest of all time legacy it takes you into this like different mythological um area where it's like you know the, the narratives around jordan are all kind of mad now you know it's that guy anytime he wanted to just turn it on and won the game right that would be brady now and i took it's that like, personally yeah if, if he leaves goes to tampa bay waltzes his way to a super bowl at the age of 43 who would be like that's ridiculous okay. like it's a good point yeah so that's a good point because if the the potential payout of a brady led super bowl for his legacy even though it's already the greatest legacy uh, at, the, at this point the payout beyond that is you're right even greater and incredible 
I think Breeze has more to lose, though. Brady has less to lose. Yeah. I think they both have incredible gains. Uh, but I, I, it's, it's fascinating, man, because if you look at since 2006, when PFF started, the highest-graded quarterbacks, it's Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning. And they have been, until Patrick Mahomes showed up, it's those four guys in a completely different stratosphere. Peyton's been retired for a few years, but the other three are three of the four quarterbacks remaining in the NFC. And I just, I love that Brady like chose to to go there, like chose to go to the NFC. He didn't take, he took an easy path. I always joke about, you know, playing in domes in the South, chose an easy path there, but he chose a difficult path of, you know, quarterbacks and teams that he had to, to go through to, to get Super Bowl number seven. So I think there's a lot on the line. Where are you going with this one as far as the pick? You said the box, so obviously you think they cover. You feel you feel good about them? Um, I yeah, I think we'll see a different Bucks in this game than we've seen the two previous games against the Saints. I, I think this is gonna be this is the team that we've been waiting to see is what happens when all this stuff comes together. It looks like it has finally come together. Now the Saints are definitely a better team to step up and show that that's still the case. You know, it's a it's a significant jump in competition um even against a good defense in washington but i i think right now this bucks team presents different challenges um i th i'm gonna lean saints here for a couple of reasons every all week you're saying it's so tough to beat teams a third time it's really not stats don't really prove that at all because usually the team that won the first two is the better team and they'll win the third the third one i'm gonna lean with my priors here which are the saints are the best all-around team and even though by our grades, Brady's playing far better than Breeze, Breeze is more than capable, as he did last week, of taking care of the ball, moving it. Saints have a better all-around team. And I think the coaching, man, has been just in their favor in these two matchups. From a, uh, They were way more prepared in matchup number two when they dominated. And then in the first matchup, week one, special teams mishaps and a few things that the Bucks had. So I'm going to lean the Saints to win this one. I don't know if they cover three. I mean, I think it'll be. I think it'll be close, and I think we're closer to a shootout in this one than than anything. I think some legendary stuff happens maybe with the old men. How many uh, How many throws does Drew Brees have in him before the arm just falls off and he can't get it done? He's fine. He can he's handle fine. himself. In the Eleven ribs are healed, and he's good. I think he's as healthy as he's been all year. I mean, probably. I think he's as healthy as he's been all year. This is the year where the the load management of of the ribs is going to start paying off for them. Rib load management. The real story is going to be if they have to go to Green Bay the next week, and then I'll be all out because he can't throw outdoors. Right? I'll I'll, I'll bring that up next week if they if they have to go play in the cold. You want the weather report for this game? I do. It's good. Yes. It's good. Yeah. In a dome. Yeah. Again, this is why Brady went to the NFC. He's like, give me some give me some dome games. Give me some indoor stuff. All right, it's going to be awesome. Divisional weekend every year, and until Super Wild Card weekend showed up, this was always like the best weekend of football. You get the, the eight best teams in the NFL, in theory. Should be great. Hey, guys. Life is full of questions. Like, what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few? No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Now let's look ahead. Let's go to some off-season stuff, free agency. We broke down all the offensive free agents on Monday. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball where I would say 
at a macro level, Sam, there are a lot of safeties to choose from. I think that's the strongest position here. And they're also, Justin Simmons and Anthony Harris are two highest graded or two highest ranked defensive free agents. Safety classes is definitely a, a place where teams can, can improve. Yeah, if you want a safety in free agency, this is your this is your time. This is your year to jump on it. If you want anything else, a lot more question marks. Um, but yeah, it's a great group of safety. Justin Simmons has been one of the best free safeties in the NFL for a while and plays free safety in a different way than a lot of them. Like he's way more active, closer to the line of scrimmage, sort of like the way Earl Thomas always did, right? He was able to play closer to the line and impact some of those plays in a right. way that people didn't always appreciate. Simmons does a lot of that for Denver. He's got way more defensive stops than a guy who plays as much free safety as him should have. Anthony Harris has been a, a really good safety for Minnesota for a while, not coming off his best year, but I think is a good free safety ball, uh, ball playing coverage safety as well, but has shown that he can do it in that two, four, six cover yeah. shell. You know, those split safety looks with uh, Harrison Smith alongside him. But those two are really high-end players available. Yeah, I'd say that there's there's five safeties that are probably at the top of the class. The two you mentioned, Simmons and Harris. Marcus Williams comes in at number 16 of the Saints, uh, number 16 on our overall list. And then at 22 and 23, we put Marcus May of the Jets, John Johnson of the Rams. Marcus Williams, I think he's more of your traditional uh, free safety. That's what he's done with the Saints, can play single high, can play too high. Marcus May has played multiple roles for the Jets. We saw, again, when Jamal Adams left, he filled the Jamal Adams role for a little bit. He played the safety in the parking lot, Greg Williams' role, where he was free safety at you know ninety yards down the field. Um, he's got he's got really good ball skills and the ability to line up all over the place. And John Johnson, if he didn't have some injury issues, might have been you know top ten on this list the way he's played when healthy. And he's been a huge part of that Rams defense that we rave about here every single week. You know his ability to be one of those guys that's disguising coverages and playing multiple roles and making plays on the ball works downhill really well. I like this group, and man, I like good safeties because you need them in the NFL. You need versatility to combat NFL offenses these days. Yeah, it, it's a really good group. Um, all those guys you mentioned, I think, are top-tier safeties. And even if you go further down, there's like some really intriguing players at that position. Malik Hooker, yeah. we're still you know attached to as this guy that could play that single high role and be a real ball hawk in the back end. Pair him up with Keanu Neal, who's also available as that sort of thumper the the uh cam chancellor role and that sort of single high seattle cover one cover three type of looks like those two guys are way down the safety list but are still really high-end starters all right let's talk cornerback a little bit because this one you don't have studs at the top that you're just like okay i mean like byron jones was kind of the prize last year right but then it, then there's always you have some old guys you've got some young guys that actually hit the market william jackson is the guy with the top potential, I would say. He's our top corner on the list because he could be the the top just outside corner. Like he, could, he has the potential to be a true number one, but he hasn't really shown that for a few years now. He's shown flashes, uh, but there was a point where he looked like the next great corner yeah. in the league. But you have William Jackson, number one. You have a Richard Sherman hitting free agency again. We have them one and two among our corners, but completely different players because Jackson's going to get your four-year, five-year contract that somebody's building around, likely Sherman going to be a one year let's you know likely we'll see one or two years let's see you know find a contender and see what you can do with them jackson is such a weird corner to try and work out because he's 28 years old he's in his prime he's got all the physical tools you want he's over six feet he's uh, almost 200 pounds he runs in the four threes 
Like he's the perfect build for corner. Um, and his first season in the NFL, not his rookie year because he was injured for his rookie year, but his first season starting was arguably the greatest statistical season we've ever seen from a cornerback, ever. Didn't allow a single touchdown, uh, only had one interception, but had 11 pass breakups, allowed a passer rating into his coverage of 36.1, which is lower than just spiking the ball every play. Right. Allowed a completion rate of 35%. 35 percent essentially a third of every pass thrown his way was caught and he did it despite playing antonio brown two times in in shut a season down when right. he was good back when he was in his prime was putting up julio jones level numbers he went up against um william jackson twice in that season and didn't really get anything william jackson allowed 151 yards that year the whole year there were corners to give that up in a game so and we were so that was his first year starting. You're like, this guy is about to be the next Revis. Like, he's phenomenal. Then the next year was a real step down. It was okay. The year after that was actively bad. Um, and then this past season was back to being okay again. He's given up at least three touchdowns in every season since. He only has one interception at most in a single season. Hasn't had the number of pass breakups in either of the last two years that he had previously. And the numbers just across the board are worse. So, if you're looking at him, what do you think he is? Like, do you think that potential to be a phenomenal corner is still in there and he's dealt with some bad defenses and bad schemes? Or are you like, we just saw a freak run of play and actually this guy is like good, not great? I think the, potential's not, the potential, potential is still in there. I think the volatility of the position also makes me lean to like, okay, he's going to be worth a shot. The problem is going to become who else has his level of, of skill, right? Who has the size, movement skills, overall just skill set and somewhat track record of at least showing true number one outside cornerback level play because Richard Sherman again is the number two guy and immediately we see the next group of corners that we're that we're ranking here are slot corners and that's that's okay but slot corners are valuable in a completely different way when you talk about Mike uh, Desmond King Mike Hilton Troy Hill you can play outside or in the slot but he's found a home really and uh, done a great job in the slot this year Cheetah Bay Awuzier and uh, he's more of an outside guy, but uh, Brian Poole, this next chunk is all a bunch of guys that are hybrid types or slot corners. And the next outside corners are guys that have way more question marks than William Jackson. We're talking about Shaquille Griffin from the Seahawks, uh, Quentin Dunbar from the Seahawks, and Cheetah Bayouzier, who has just been solid across the board for the Cowboys, but never really had that elite season. So I think teams are going to look at William Jackson and say, okay, we're going to take a shot at him, even if it's for crazy money, and he has number one cornerback potential. Yeah, as much as he's risky because the range of his outcomes has been pretty broad, he's still like the safest option out there compared with the rest of these guys. There's some real high-end starting talent available, but it's all massively risky. Like Richard Sherman is old and coming off a really injured season. Like at some point, he's going to stop playing like one of the best corners in the NFL. Um, the other 49ers corner, Jason Verrett, has been like a classic massive risk, right? He paid off this season, played 800 snaps, but that's like the first time in his career he's played a full season, essentially. Can you bank on that happening again? Um, Xavier Rhodes for the Colts had a really good year, but is a year removed from being one of the worst starting cornerbacks in the NFL when he was playing hurt for the Vikings, plus he's getting up in years. The guys you mentioned, the Seahawks corners, like Ronald Darby, same thing, right? He's had horrific play, but it had a good year this year and is young enough. There's a lot of guys in here where you say, if things go well, 
he's like a good number one corner and actually makes a massive difference to the defense. Yeah. If things don't go well, the guy gets lit up like a Christmas tree and <laughs> yeah. is part of our part of the reason our defense is getting torched. Let me add one more interesting name to the list. It's Gary and Conley, last of the Texans, missed all of the season. He's missed two full seasons essentially. And he's kind of a specialist. Grading wise, it is night and day when he's in man coverage, single coverage. He's excellent. Zone feel, not great. If you get him in the right scheme, like New England picks him up and says, hey, just go cover this dude. Don't look at anything else. I was going to yeah, could be good. The problem with that is you're basically limiting yourself to two teams now. You can go to New England and you can go to Miami and Miami have a bunch of corners already. Yeah, I get it. I'm just saying keep an eye on him. If you get him in the right system or teams, you got new defensive coordinators. For the Patriots, though, that should be like Christmas, right? And like, there's a guy out there that would be unusually well suited to your scheme, and literally nobody else in the league should want him. Yeah, and, so you could pick him up for nothing. And they might have decisions to make on Stephon Gilmore. There might be a big turnover in New England. Just keep an eye on Gary and Conley. Let's go to the front seven really quick. Linebacker, not great all around. Levante David, easily the best linebacker in this class. He's number eight on the entire free agent list. He can do it all at linebacker. But beyond that. You have intriguing guys like Matt Milano with the Bills, excellent in coverage and covering linebackers. Just, again, not as good all around in the run game. Tackling has you know, has some issues. Jayon Brown of the Titans, he's dealing with injuries. He's out for the year, but um, very similar to Milano. Your, your new age cover first linebacker who's maybe not as, as great in the run game. But um, those guys are intriguing because they help your pass game. And I think, you know, that's where teams need to try to find some upgrades. Yeah, it's not a, a it's not a good group to be chasing that. And even if it was, it's not a good time to be chasing that. Like the NFL right now for linebackers is just a hellscape. It's almost impossible to play. Those are the guys that are getting absolutely uh, targeted and attacked by this surge in offense. And the best sort of example of that is look at all the rookies that came in this year. Linebacker used to be a place where you could come in and you'd be like a pro bowler right off the bat, right? D'Amico Ryans. Remember, you come in, he's immediately one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Looks great. Now, you come in and you're the guy with the bullseye on him. You get absolutely targeted and just destroyed by these offenses that are attacking that middle of the field and manipulating you and making you go to the wrong place. So all those rookie linebackers have terrible grades chiefly because their coverage. So if that's what you're chasing, if that's what you need, right now it's just a bad time to be trying to find it let's go to the defensive line and edge defender we have far more edges than interior defensive linemen in our top 100 we only have six interior players uh in in the top 100 but far more edge defenders the top one for us is Shaquille Barrett a guy who a year ago we said look don't pay for those 20 sacks you're paying for the production and the pre pressure and everything that he had done previously this year pressure-wise and pass rush-wise, very similar snap for snap, and his sacks have been cut in half. So it's fine. He's a very effective edge defender. We'll see if the Bucks end up trying to bring him back on a long-term deal. Beyond that, you've got Carl Lawson of the Bengals coming off of his best pass rushing season uh, or the best pass rushing season of any free agent here. He's kind of like William Jackson, right? Flashed it early, hit a lull in his career, showed it again. Carl Lawson could be excellent. And then Jadavian Clowney's back on the free agent market with mm. you know far less value now than his perceived value of last year at this time. The one-year bet-on-yourself deal didn't it came up snake eyes, didn't work out too well for a clowny. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, this is an, it's another, it's a lot like cornerback, this group, where there's a lot of talent there, but it's all risky. Uh, Shaquille Barrett, I think, is the one that isn't risky. He's like 
as sure a thing as it gets yeah in terms of pass rusher he's solid run defender excellent pass rusher yeah yep. and his pff grade every year is as a pass rusher is basically between 70 and 80 he's going to be that guy every year and the only difference is whether that bounces in his favor in one year you get that 20 sack season um probably not going to happen again but he's still really good the rest of them though all have some kind of risk and you go down yannick and who's been this one trick pony of a speed edge rusher and played in you know multiple different places this year melvin ingram's getting old but is is good getting old battle injuries bud dupree has been our classic cautionary tale of um athleticism versus production and who's responsible for the production largely it has not actually been bud dupree he's just been the guy taking advantage of some of the stats but he's a special athlete he's hitting uh, free agency at the right time in terms of age then yeah, trey hendrickson who saints fans wanted to be an all pro based off his sack numbers great see great timing for him to hit free agency coming off a year in which he had monster sack numbers even if most of them were unblocked there's a lot of buyer beware guys you mentioned a bunch of them but it, buyer beware is probably the easiest for us to identify by using sack totals and comparing to pff grades that's leonard floyd as well with the rams career high in sacks similar pass rush grade as previous years trey hendrickson who you mentioned good pass rush grade not as good as the sacks he's gonna probably get paid though matthew judon was the same thing last year we said look don't worry don't look at the 10 sacks look at the pass rush production it was schemed up we've seen him regress a little bit this year the one other fascinating name here though is hassan, Red hassan reddick of the cardinals number 87 on our list actually i'll lump him in with romeo Oquara. two guys who have essentially a november and december of good play figured it out the stretch the stretch run for Hassan Reddick and Romeo Aquara, just a handful of games where they were absolutely dominant as they hit free agency. Aquara has got 2,000 previous pass rushing snaps where he was just okay. And Reddick has hundreds of snaps where he previously played linebacker. So is he is Reddick going to become a full-time edge somewhere else and become like the number two pass rusher on a team? Maybe. But yeah, buyer beware on a lot of these guys because of small sample sizes or inflated sack totals when it comes to edge defenders yeah so bottom line on the defensive free agents i think uh there are names to be had in the secondary there are role players to be had absolutely at corner there are some good all-around safeties safety is all about scheme fit and i think you just you have to be careful with the defensive line group because uh, i think a lot of guys are going to get overpaid who by our rankings are 50 or later and they're probably going to get some big contracts the upside of this defensive group is huge but it's going to take either some it's it's going to take teams getting very lucky or or being judicially um selective with where they go it's this is kind of like a, a a test about how much this stuff how much of player evaluation is skill and how science and how much of it is just lucking out right and snagging the right guy and just falling into the right answer like there is a scenario where a team can overhaul a defense with a bunch of cheap players here all of which hit on their upside and you end up like with a you end up looking like a genius right and getting a five-year extension as a gm cashing in and being you know one of the best in the business every time your name comes up from a, a Rappaport or a, a tom Pelissero or whatever on the other hand you could take a shot at guys that are basically the same all of whom crap out and it hit the the low end of their range of outcomes and you look like a moron you get fired and you're you're crapped out you're on to the next gig like this is the kind of free agent class that could do that and people say that the draft is a crapshoot free agency a lot of the time is as well it's more of a sure thing because you've at least seen them in the nfl but this group 
is like a draft. Like, I don't know if anyone's going to come out of this batting more than, you know, 400 or whatever. The, the, the problem with free agency, though, is you have to put value on it as well. And again, to pay for guys, to pay for edge rushers that we have ranked in the 50s, 70s, 90s, you might have to do the whole like four years, 10 plus million dollars per year just to get a guy that we think is right buyer beware really risky so um we'll see i love it off season has begun free agency talk all the way leading up into march we'll get into some draft stuff as well in the in the coming weeks i got a mock draft coming up soon wow we're getting into mock draft season we got a top five mock draft on the pff nfl daily so you guys can just kind of get a feel for where we're going with draft season all sorts of fun stuff including divisional weekend so thanks to everybody for tuning in we'll be back here monday morning with the usual reviewing all the divisional round games we might have a special guest on monday we'll see if i could talk sam into it we'll have even more off-season chatter as well everybody enjoy the games see you monday